The reading is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 8. Watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private and your father who sees everything will reward you. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. When you pray, don't babble on and on as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your father knows exactly what you need, even before you ask him. Good morning. So, when I get a bit of free time, um, I like to watch a good film, but you probably will find me watching some sort of deep and meaningful, you know, thought-provoking film, or just pointless action film, like something like The Expendables or whatever, or my best is the two of those combined. That would be my ideal film. But on occasion, I like to watch like a chick flick or some pointless comedy, and I go for the cheesiest one available. So Nadine, if you're out there, do you remember Shallow Girl? Yeah, terrible film, but we loved it. And The Princess Diaries. It's been out for ages, so sorry about the spoiler alert right now. It is about a girl who discovers that she's gonna be, she's the granddaughter of the Queen of Genovia. I don't even think that's a real place. <laughs> but um, she discovers that. And at the time, she's just this average teenager, and she finds out that she's the granddaughter of royalty. And the story is about how she kind of has to train herself in the way of being royal and stepping into her royalty and being heir to the throne. When we um, accept Jesus... We step into this family and people start using the term, you are royal, you are children of God, you've got an inheritance that's from God, and we need to step in to what is ours because we know Jesus. But that is not natural and that doesn't come to us without kind of taking on some sort of discipline, some sort of training, getting into God's word and understanding that role that we have and the part that we play in God's family. It takes time and effort for us to live and breathe like we're royal. Not any effort on our part to be part of God's family, in case that didn't make sense. There's no effort on our part to be part of God's family because Jesus has done all of that. The effort is for us to realise who we are in Jesus and walk that out. There are disciplines and responsibilities that we need to grow in and a new way of doing life and a new rhythm of doing life that enables us to grow closer to Jesus and step into all that he's made us to do and be. But some of those things require discipline. In August 2014, 
I sent a text to Nadine saying these words, and I have the text um, on... Oh, no, I don't. They all got deleted last week. I did have the text on my phone that said, um, Hi, Nadine, I'm going to go to Everest Base Camp. Do you want to come with me? A bit like, you know, going shopping in Guildford. And she texts back going, Yeah, OK, are we going to die? And I just text her back saying, Yeah, one day. <laughs> and, um, yeah... I told Jess that um, I wanted to go to Everest Base Camp and she said to me, like any good friend who knew me at the time, "Uh, you hurt your knee, it was really bad, you remember that? And um, you have no time, you don't even have time to hang out with me, how are you going to have time to train to do Everest Base Camp? Um, Don't do it. (laughs) And so the next time we spoke about it, I said, I booked to go to Everest Base Camp because I never listened to her. And, um, yeah, so after that, I thought it was important. So after we booked it, I thought, I'm going to Google training for Everest Base Camp. (laughs) And it didn't look so straightforward. In fact, we only had eight months to train, and people were suggesting that you took, like, two years, 18 months, to kind of get your training up to speed. But we like a challenge, don't we, Nadine? So we did train for the, um, the trek, we climbed Snowdon, didn't we? Toby, remember climbing Snowdon? You were there like an hour before I got there, <laughs> going, I'm cold. <laughs> um, yeah, we did that. We climbed Scarfell Pike. Um, we bought really expensive, really expensive sleeping bags, like really expensive, and silk liners to go in that, because apparently that's what you do. We bought down layers that weren't nearly as expensive as a sleeping bag, but they were fine. We even bought walking poles the week before we went. <laughs> So the first time we used those poles was at Everest Base Camp. <laughs> the walk, or the trek, was a mixture of mainly amazing and awesome, mixed in with seriously hard and seriously cold. I don't think I've ever been cold continuously for 12 days. In the awesome, I was loving God's creation, and in the hard, I would just be praying. In fact, I prayed like God was really the only person listening When we struggled for breath, the song that regulated our breathing had the words, I surrender all. Crazy, because you'd think that it was the fact that we were at the peak of our fitness that got us through Everest Base Camp, but actually it was the words of Jesus and the songs of worship that we'd heard that got us through. I went to this conference uh, for aspiring leaders about 11 years ago. And there was a guy that was speaking, he was introduced, I don't even really remember his name, but I do remember them saying of the guy that was introduced, if you cut this guy open, the Bible would flow out, because he knew his Bible so well. I want that. But that doesn't happen automatically. I have a friend who writes down his dreams and his prayers and talks with God every day. And he reads his Bible every day. He journals everything. And he told me that he often hears God speak to him or feels God speaking to him so precisely and specifically about things. And when he's told other people about this, they think he's weird. Because how God wouldn't really be specific. Surely God would just be like, give you this general Bible verse. And then I thought to myself, when I read in the Bible and I hear of God speaking to people specifically and precisely, I don't think that's weird. I just take it as given because it's done in the Bible. And I thought, you know what? My friend truly invests in his relationship with God 
every day. He's always ready and always listening for all that God has to say to him. So why wouldn't God speak to him specifically and precisely when he's ready to listen? He knows God's word. Why wouldn't God make those pages and those words jump out at him? Why wouldn't God reward the things that he does in secret when he's spending time with him? Do you remember the Matrix films? Yeah? Yeah? I love the Matrix. I was a little bit scared when I used to watch The Matrix, but I I love it. And one of my favourite bits is where Keanu Reeves, who plays Neo, Neo? Um, He learns Kung Fu, okay? And the Kung Fu scenes are really cool, but before that, this is how he learns Kung Fu. He's like, right, I'm going to... Oh, you're just going to put this thing in? So he downloads how to do Kung Fu, and at the end of it, I mean, in the way that Keanu Reeves does it, and I'm not going to do it in the press, he's like, I know Kung Fu. I sometimes think that, or want my relationship to God to be a bit like that, that I could just put something in, download it, and then I would have it, and I would just get on with the stuff, having God's word in me. But you know what? The Matrix isn't real. Or that feels like I'm criticising the film. The Matrix isn't real. To have a relationship with God and to be able to know what he says, we've got to put in that investment. We've got to put it in. It doesn't just get downloaded to us. I don't know about you, but the word discipline often conjures up a negative vibe in me, a feeling of oppression and the opposite of freedom. In fact, the Bible says we are to find freedom in Christ, so when I'm speaking on private disciplines, it feels challenging. But I think perhaps I've made it into a negative connotation based on my experience. I've worked with young people in some way, shape or form my whole life, and I can see why being disciplined takes effort. But I can also see how we can make progress when we're disciplined about something. If I want to play the guitar like Ed Sheeran, I need to practice. If I want to be fitter, I need to exercise, not just on the odd occasion, but regularly. I'm so inspired by people who run marathons and Olympians, but they're not made overnight. And in fact, in the build-up to the Olympics, they tell you the story behind each athlete about how they've trained to get to this part. There are no shortcuts just a really awesome God who really wants to know us and wants us to know him. I cannot figure out an easier or better way than knowing God's word and talking to God to get to know God better. There's just, there isn't another way. If our goal is to know Jesus better, to know our purpose in this world and to walk and live like children of God and enable others to know that the God of the universe is all in for them, and loves them so much, to be able to recognise that we are royal and that we need to step into all that God has for us, our training ground is going to require discipline and desire. The passage identifies two areas of discipline, um, prayer and being generous and helpful. Daily prayer, that has become the bread and butter and the staple ingredient of my life. Yet, if you could hear my prayers, they range from, and I don't know if you're the same, they range from the well-thought-out Bible reference supplications to the prayers that go, God, I know you know everything, but I just need to tell you it anyway. Some that are lost in awe and wonder of all of his creation and filled with thanks and praise, and others that are more like, God, what is going on? And a real crying out. All prayers, all of that talking to God 
It's all vital for life. In verses 5 to 8 of the passage that we heard, it says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues, on the street corners, to be seen by everyone else. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep babbling like the pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, like, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This wasn't meant to be a criticism of public prayer meetings, so please come to Plugins Prayer. Okay? It's not a criticism of praying out loud. The Bible says it's good for us to gather as a church and to pray together. It's getting right to the heart of the matter, though, because it's the heart that matters most. In the same way that I had this amazing personal training session a couple of weeks ago um, at Spellform Gym. Fantastic. Oh, my word, did I ache after, like, for a whole week, I think. I haven't got fitter just because of that one training session. In fact, that will be wasted if I do no more exercise. And that's where my analogy breaks down, because actually, no day is wasted with God. But to get fitter, I need to keep doing what I did. And I cannot rely on just that one session. The scribes and the Pharisees, so the religious leaders at that time, they were guilty of two great faults in prayer, vain glory and vain repetition. They believed that mindless repetition, mindless repeating of words, rather than heartfelt petition, was the way to be heard by God. And if they were not repeating their prayers, they were just making sure that their religion was visible for everybody so that people would think they were really holy. It's funny, because when I read that, I thought, I don't stand up and shout about my prayers. I don't say the same thing over and over again. So what's my challenge? What's my takeaway from this? When Jesus says, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen, then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. It's easy to forget sometimes that our prayers are for an audience of one. Just God. He knows what we need before we ask, but he wants our full attention. He doesn't need our full attention to be God, but for us to get the full impact of his presence, he needs our full attention. We are, and I'm looking out amongst my friends, and I'm seeing people who have testimony after testimony after testimony of when their full focus is on Jesus. They are transformed. We have been transformed by being in his presence and pouring out our heart to him. There is no easy way to download or shortcut this. It's just direct communication. Um, my lovely dad, okay, he, uh, he's here, Yay. he will always say to me, even today he said it to me, why have you put on your makeup? I like it when you don't wear any makeup. <laughs> 33. <laughs> I'm allowed to wear makeup, and I would scare you all if I didn't. <laughs> um, but it made me think today when you said that, that God says to me and to us, 
take off that makeup. I just want to see what, I want to know what's going on with you. Just take off all that other stuff that's for everybody else. What's going on with you? Take off that makeup and men, you might wear makeup, but if you don't, you know what I mean. <laughs> Sorry, Stuart. When I focused on when I focused on my God and worshipped and listened to worship music alone and realised that my audience of one is listening, I've come away from praying, feeling different about things. This is so private and there's no way around it. The Bible talks about this space, go and find this space, go into this room by yourself. It's not so much the space that's important or a particular room that's important. The Greek word for room was tamion, which means an inner storage chamber or a secret room. It just is about a space without distraction. And that's going to be different for each one of us. Depending on the stage of life we're in, if you've got children, then finding that space might not be the same as me trying to find space, and that's okay. But it's a space without distraction. For Nadine, she used to pray in the toilet. We had stickers in the toilet to remind her to pray. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sharing her secrets. I did, I did tell her sort of the other day. The creator of the world and our God who is love, he says, pour out everything to me and I'll reward you. So what does that reward look like? I wonder if it looks like peace, comfort, joy when it looks like there shouldn't be any, goodness, gentleness, patience, self-control when it looks like there shouldn't be any of those things. I don't know about you, but just this week alone, I was needing a bucket load of this. And you know what, looking back, I had exactly those things when I brought it all before God. The situations did not change, but I dealt with them differently. But sometimes I wonder, how much do I rely on coming to church and my life group and people praying for me more than I take my stuff directly to God? I'm hear this right, I'm not saying that any of that is wrong. We need to not stop meeting together. We need to come to church. We need to pray together. We need to encourage each other. We need to go to our life groups and be built up and encourage one another. But it's still no substitute for talking directly to your creator. Jesus made it a priority when he was on earth. And I think that we probably should too then. He took himself away, away from distractions, away from his really great mates. He took himself away and spent time with his father. There is so much good stuff to do in this world. So many opportunities to be generous and helpful. Because, sadly, there is so much need in our world, isn't there? Just um, every Christmas, my workplace, they want to raise money for a different charity. And there is every member of staff is saying, what about this charity? What about this charity? Where can we give it? We have to take a vote on which good cause to give the money to. Because there is so much that we are trying to do in this world to repair the broken. But there's always... A, and so... There's always an opportunity for us to be generous with our resources. But in this passage, Jesus warns us to be private and secret about our generosity. 
Because the religious people at the time, they used to make it really obvious to others about how holy they were and how good they were by giving to the needy. But Jesus makes it clear that we should do this in secret. The bottom line is that if you do things for people to see how good you are, the praise that you receive is momentary. momentary sorry, And perhaps that's all we're going to get. But God is challenging us to go even deeper. He wants to see our heart and, the way, and is way more concerned with the condition of our heart than what looks good on the outside. The thing is, if our prayer and private relationship with God is in a good place, we will be generous because we'll have the right heart attitude and we won't be able to help ourselves but be generous. Being generous will, uh, in all aspects of our lives and keeping it quiet, the joy of blessing somebody with no one else knowing, it's a beautiful thing. Facebook is a wonderful app for keeping in touch with everybody. I love it. Um, I love that all my tribe get to see what I'm up to and I can see what they're up to. And also sometimes what they had for dinner. That's always good to know. <laughs> Sadly this year, um, a lovely close friend decided that she didn't any longer want to be have me in her life. And that was a really difficult time. And I was sad about the way things had turned out with that. But one of her comments really stayed with me. She said... I know that Facebook isn't real, but it says something about our friendship. And I was so sad to know that she had become sad about the state of our friendship based on Facebook and ignored the depth of our friendship that we had that was real, that was private. God really calls us to examine the opposite. He says, what is the state of the stuff you do and the relationship you have with me when no one is looking? What's going on in your heart? Not just all the stuff that's on show. Not just the number of times we've not rocked up to church or gone to prayer meetings. What's going on inside? That's the real part. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. But also, God is known for looking at the heart. He knows us and he loves us. The passage goes on to talk about not performing religious acts for the purpose of allowing others to see. Any act, be it praying, giving, serving, should not be done for the purpose of gaining approval from others. It's out of our response to our relationship with God and the blessings that he's given us that we do those things. He goes on to talk about fasting, and the fast was in order to set aside those distractions and focus on Jesus. A private discipline that reminds us of our audience of one. But why are all these things important? Why fast? Why pray? Why serve? Why be generous? Why do any of those things? They're the foundations of our life. The Bible often talks about God being our rock and our foundation. It's these private disciplines that enable us to recognise that our relationship with God runs through the core of our lives. It's to be the filter through which we can see life. Our circumstances are seen through this filter. The world, our future, our family, our friends, ourselves. It's the only way we recognise that we're royal, that we have the right to be called children of God and have direct access to God. But the reality of life is that it's truly beautiful and broken all at the same time. And we navigate these every day Sometimes, both on the same day. When everything hits the fan, and it does, we need to lean on the knowledge of God that is etched on our hearts 
from a daily relationship with him. I want to be able to lean on the truth of what God says about me and about himself in my life. Those truths only sink in when I'm still and I allow him to etch them on my heart. Sometimes I feel like I've become so restless when God's talking to me and so wanting to do, do, do all the time that while he's etching them on my heart, the writing gets scribbled and I don't then see what he's trying to say to me clearly. Poor Elaine, um, my great friend Elaine, who broke her femur last Sunday night, texted me um, the other day to say that she has been um, in so much pain over this week and yet every morning she has been waking up with worship songs in her head. Not because she's recently listened to them, but just because they are etched on her heart. And in her time of need, that's what she wants to lean on. That's what she naturally is leaning on. The truth about who she is and who God is is at the forefront of her mind. A reflection of daily time spent with Jesus. I bet when she was doing those daily readings and when she was playing that worship music every day, she had no idea... I know she had no idea that this was going to happen and that would be the thing that came to her mind and that was the training ground for now. So in this crazy week, she gets to lean on the truth of God. Being able to serve and be generous was meant to be a joy. Our church is so full of generous givers and servers and they do it without wanting to be recognised. What a reward is yours? When I was an um, assistant youth pastor in my last church, um, we used to take the youth away to Soul Survivor and like, have youth weekends, and we kind of had this little tradition called Secret Angels. And all the youth, in fact, all of us leaders as well, we would write our names on a piece of paper, and then it would all go into a pot, and then everyone would take a name that wasn't theirs. And your challenge was to bless and encourage that person over the course of the week or over the course of the weekend. But the key was for them to never find out that it was you. And the idea behind it was if everybody was blessing and encouraging and trying to be that to their secret angel, everyone was getting that same treatment. And you would never, ever... It was the success if no one ever found out whose theirs was, because it could have been anybody. Jess. You're going to regret that you told me this, aren't you? Lovely Jess Bray. When she was about 15 decided that she needed this routine at bedtime so she'd get a chair out I'm not going to do it for you because I probably can't do it but she'd get a chair out and she'd put her leg up on the back of the chair and then she'd stretch all the way down to the leg the toes of the foot that was on the floor and she would stretch every day her bedtime stretches and she'd do the next leg and um, she'd do it as a routine discipline, am I right? I don't want to get it wrong yeah and um She didn't ever really think too much about the impact of this. But one day, someone, as you do, was talking about being able to do the splits. So she just gave it a go. And she could do the splits. (laughs) Can you still do the splits? No, she can't. (laughs) She can still touch her toes, though. (laughs) That's good to know. Um, Whether it's praying and reading your Bible to sustain you through something now, whether it's doing it without knowing what lies ahead, a bit like doing your bedtime stretches and not knowing that you're going to later on need to be able to do the splits. Let's get serious about praying and talking to God and knowing God better. 
So, I need a Monday action plan. So my action plan, and you can join me if you want to. I, um, I heard that it takes 21 days to form a habit. And then as I was brushing my teeth this morning, I saw on my Listerine mouthwash, it says 21 days challenge. And I, like, your mouth will feel better if you use Listerine for 21 days. But anyway, this is better, okay? So the 21-day challenge for me is that I am going to set in my phone time aside to spend with God, reading my Bible without distraction. So praying, worshipping, and set that aside. A bit like I would put in my diary to see a friend, something that cannot take that place, okay? It's going to be that I'm busy, and I'm going to do that every single day for 21 days. Feel free to ask me about how it's going. And now I've said it out loud, I'm definitely going to do it. Maybe for you, that's not helpful. And that's okay. But there'll be something that works for you. And I'm not going to be checking whether or not you did your 21-day challenge. I'm not even going to check if you are going to do it. But I'm trying to get across that there is no shortcut. So I'm encouraging you, friends, and I'm encouraging myself and challenging myself that I want to get into God's Word. I want to be like that guy that when you cut him open, the Bible rolls out. And not just because he knows it by rote, but because he knows it in his heart. I want to be like Elaine, that on my day that's difficult, the thing that comes to mind is the truth that I know about Jesus. And I can't do that without these private disciplines. I know that I don't have it all nailed, and I know that when I do create time, it's never wasted. I remember having lessons to plan and books to mark, and I knew that I was serving in the morning and the evening service at church, but all I really wanted to do was have an hour with God by the lake, and I knew that was what was I was missing for a while, and I'd been trying to navigate a week without being able to spend time with God. So I took that hour that I didn't have, and I went and put it aside for God. And you know what? I managed to do everything that was on my to-do list and be at church both morning and evening and I had extra time left over and I don't even know how it was and I remember telling Nadine I think God made time stand still because I don't know how I fit it in he takes what we give him and he multiplies it in an amazing way there are so many creative ways now to be able to soak ourselves in God's word whether it's audio bible or reading your bible worship music bible apps podcasts books there is never a bad time to start again there's never a bad time to continue never a bad time to make it fresh you can just start today you can just start just between you and god on the way in you would have been given a ucb set of bible notes like this Ro, where are you Ro came and grabbed me this morning um And I thought, actually, what she said would come better from her, so I'm going to get her to say it. Yeah, uh, oh. Hello? Oh, it does work. Is it cut clear off earlier? I was a bit scared of it. Has everyone got one of these? If you haven't, put your hand up, and I'm sure the hosting team will come and give, give you one. Keep your hand in the air. So, basically... This is something I do every morning. When you're married to a vicar, everyone assumes you're super holy. And I kind of, a very helpful vicar's wife said to me, you're really going to have to learn the Bible, Rowena, if you're going to be a vicar's wife. (laughs) She recovered quite quickly from the facial injury that followed that comment. But she was right. And I don't know whether you know this, some of you may do, some of you don't. But I have a daily struggle with what I would determine at the moment as a crippling depression. I can no longer trust my feelings and how I feel. So I've had to learn 
to try and follow God's word. Now I can't speak. All right, we'll get there. It's fine. And I started with this because the thought of sitting down and reading the Bible every day just seemed too big and I was a bit scared of it. And so last year at New Wine, I was really convicted to read the Bible. So I started the New Testament at New Wine last year and I'd finished it by Christmas. That's, that, hey. that, sorry, I'm a mum. That deserves a bit of a woo. <laughs> Thanks. And I'm working my way through the Old Testament now. This book, I'm not sure how helpful it's going to be for you because it was clearly written for me. Because every day it speaks to me. But what it did was get me started focusing on God's word. Because I can't trust how I feel. If I follow where I feel, it will take me into a dark place and I can't get up. If I follow his word, it takes me to a place of understanding and of light. And this morning it said, um, we have these treasures in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Jars of clay refers to blah, 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 blah. We'll leave that bit. It's just explaining what a jar of clay is. A vessel may be chipped and flawed, but once it's washed and cleaned, it can be used again. So don't quit because someone's discovered you're a jar of clay with chips and flaws. And this next bit went through like an arrow through my heart. It said, there's a cry from the Jericho Road Nobody except you may even hear. Some dying thief will be saved if you'll just keep preaching through your pain. And that's, I thought, that's me. He's not saying, wait till you get better. Wait till you don't feel like this anymore. He's saying, get up and preach through your pain. And the only way you can do that is if you read his word and pray every day. And so start with this. This is this much Two paragraphs, but it's two paragraphs from a, word, from a man with a hilarious name, Bob Gass. I find that funny. I don't know why. But he's clearly a very godly man. So start with this, and it will get you into that discipline that Joya talked about, which isn't a nice word, of putting God at the beginning of your day and asking him to help you to get through the day. And then before you know it, you might be doing, I'm doing this 21 days. I started in half term without even realising. See, I was, a, I was ahead. <laughs> and getting up before the children and reading the Bible, which is what I've been doing. And I've just finished Job. That was, that was fun. But literally, it was like me. I was Job. I was whining and moaning. And, but then at the end, God lists all the things that he's done. And I was like... Oh, yeah. And I was able to do my day because I had his word in my ears and not how I feel. So if that speaks to any of you, prayer will be over there. I'll let Joy carry on. Sorry. That's all right. Thank you. Thank you, Ray. You should do it way better than I could have done. And, yeah, so hopefully everyone's got one of those now. If you've been in church for a while have you ever felt or have you ever felt guilty for not reading your bible more often and not hanging out with god can you just put your hand up if you have that's not of god it's not of god um that's been the biggest thing that i've been thinking about when i've been praying about this that god says in his word he draws us with a loving kindness feeling guilty 
and guilt-tripped into spending time with him. That's not of God. And I really pray that nothing I've said today has made you feel like that, because that's not the way it's meant to be. There is no effort on your part to make God love you. There's nothing that you did that made him love you. He just loves you because he loves you because he loves you. And there's nothing that you're going to do that's going to make him stop loving you because his attitude to us is always love. And he draws you and me with a loving kindness, not with guilt. If you spend time with Jesus this week, God's going to use that time and I know that. If you don't get round to it, God isn't going to love you any less. Don't let the pressure of reading your Bible and praying become a thing that is oppressive or makes us feel guilty because that's not what it's meant to be. It's meant to be an encouragement, not a pressure. God doesn't put any pressure on us to pray, but the Bible says that he wants us to give our whole hearts to him. So I encourage you to set a time aside with Jesus, away from distractions, pour out your heart, come to him with no makeup on, and breathe in deep as he pours out his love and his Holy Spirit into your heart. Because he will, he will, he won't hold back on that. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you love us through no effort of our own. I thank you that you sent Jesus to be the perfect model of how we should spend time with you. Father God, I thank you that you know what our detail in our lives is, what every day looks like and where it's like, you want me to spend time and you want me to carve that out. Do you know what my day looks like? If you only knew what my time pressures were, you would know that I couldn't do it. Father God, you are the God who can make the sun stand still and you can make time stand still and you can create that for us. So Father, where there's desire, would you make that happen? Would you help us? When we desire to spend time with you, would you somehow make all the other things okay so we get that? Father God, would today be the start of us pouring out more of who we are to you because you love us and you know us and you want to get involved in our lives and you want us to see where you're working in our lives. Father, I pray that this week as we get into your word, that the words would jump off the page, there would be words of encouragement and words that speak right into our situation, that any time that we put in to spending with you, would we know that it isn't wasted? So yeah, I pray for each one of us um, for an amazing week in that sense, for an amazing week where we can really get close to you. In Jesus' name, amen.